Good morning, everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. Wrong mic. Do you want me to switch? Nah, we're all good. Um, <laughs> a special welcome to even the Hodge family. Isn't it great to see people 11 days old today? Yep, let's go with that. And in church. How good is that? Um, I do have to start today with a little bit of um, bad or sad news. It's not for you guys, but for me personally, is I'm having issues with my phone at the moment. Um, there's something wrong with the screen that it is dull and sometimes fully black. And before someone says, just turn the brightness up or turn auto brightness off, I've tried that. I'm not a fool like that. I've given it a shot, but for some reason, I just can't see anything on the screen. And as most, oh, turn it off, okay, okay, thank you. Um, but yeah, as most young people, well, I've counted myself as a young person, well, most people in general actually nowadays, we're pretty addicted to our phones. But what I've found is it's not the text messages that I'm missing, it's actually quite freeing, not replying to anyone. Um, or the social media updates, I am happy not seeing all my friends in Europe at the moment, enjoying the sun while I'm stuck here in Adelaide, or even the F1 clash game. I've been out, yeah, that was for you, Nathan, glad you enjoyed it. Um, but it's actually those stupid clickbait articles that maybe I'm addicted to clicking on. I don't know if you guys are the same, but it's those articles, those headlines that capture you. You want to click on it, those three ways to become a millionaire or whatever, and then you look it up and it says, save money, <laughs> get an inheritance, or work three jobs. Um, or at the moment, I'm looking at articles which are like, three guaranteed ways to get your baby asleep immediately. And as any parent knows, there's no perfect way to do it, but you click on it anyway. Well, I click on it anyway. I read them and they add no value to my life. But one article that I did click on recently that... I think actually has quite important information in it. It's controversial information, but important nevertheless. And this article was the extensive list of every Adam Sandler movie ranked from worst to best. And now, you've seen it, Nace. So this is a long list. Adam Sandler has a lot of movies. You have his classics of like Big Daddy and Happy Gilmore, his newer stuff like Uncut Gems, and his absolute flops like... Jack and Jill or the do-over, right? <laughs> Which, um, yeah, they didn't go down too well. But At number 33 on this list, a movie that um, i probably forgotten about, I've only seen it the once, uh, was a movie called Bedtime Stories. Does anyone remember Bedtime Stories? A few? Um, it wasn't one of his best movies. It said, the article says that it, despite bad reviews, it made a lot of money. So Adam Sandler's doing quite well for himself. But the plot of that movie is, for those that don't know it, is Adam Sandler is an uncle um, to a young girl and a young boy, and he would go home after work and he would tell them these bedtime stories. And the catch is that these bedtime stories wouldn't stay stories, but they would come alive. They would become reality that the characters in the movie had to live out. And I thought, and maybe it's a bit of a stretch here, but as we're looking at Old Testament stories or our Sunday school stories, as they spoke on David Goliath last week, we don't want these, this text in the Old Testament just to stay as stories to us, but we want them to become alive, something that we live out. And maybe not factually, we're not going against 
uh, Goliath, a giant in battle, or as I'm talking about the conquest of Jericho today, we're not talking about battles that we're actually facing physically, but come alive in the message that they have. The message that God wants a relationship with us, that God will fight our battles with us, and also the character of God that he has, which was the same back for the Israelites in the Old Testament. When the New Testament happened, when Jesus walked here, God's character remained the same to the present for right now. So before I get started, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit um, will come and make this story come alive to us. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that uh, you enter this place right now, um, that we feel you and that you just uh, remind us of the truth, take out the truth of these stories, fill us again with a new revelation of wisdom and truth of a story that we may have heard, heard many times before. But yeah, just come now and make this story come alive that we may take it through our days, through our weeks, um, and it may impact us as the truth that it is and that it contains. Amen. So Joshua's conquest, conquest of Jericho. Um, I'm sure many here are familiar with the story, but if you're not, uh, we're picking it up in Joshua 6, um, a book that many believe was written by Joshua himself. Um, and it tells of the story of how the Israelites took over Jericho. We're picking up the story here of uh, Israelites are going towards the promised land that God had promised them. They've exited Egypt almost 40 years ago now, um, and now they've come up to the city of Jericho, which they need to overtake. God comes to Jericho, and he gives instructions about how the Israelites are going to overtake the city. And it's not by force, it's not by might, but it's actually by walking. He tells them that each day for six days, they're going to get up and walk around the perimeter of the city of Jericho a city that is protected by large walls, uh, large walls around the whole surrounds, and it's also locked up of fear of the Israelites. But God doesn't tell them to enter. He just tells them to walk around once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they are to walk around six times in quietness, and then on the seventh time, the priests are going to lead, play their horns, make a loud sound, and the walls of Jericho are going to fall, and the Israelites are told to go in and take over the city. So Joshua follows the instructions. For six days, just once a day, they walk around the city, a large city. It's about 600 metres in uh, perimeter that they walk around, and then on the seventh day, they follow God's instructions, walk around it six times, and on the seventh time, let out an almighty cry, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this story in Sunday school, and the message that you take away from it is if you're obedient to what God tells you to do, you will have great victories. And I believe that's true. I believe that through our obedience, God uses our obedience, and he shows his power through us. Now, God can show his power without us, for sure. He doesn't need us to be obedient, but through our obedience, he will show his power. So I don't want to discredit that message at all, but I think now we can look at it in three different ways that I took from this story, reading it again. 
as an adult and actually looking at the text rather than just the story. And the first point I want to say today is, are you tired from walking? And I don't mean physically walking, but I mean walking in obedience to God. Walking, filling out what you believe you've been called to do for God. You see, you hear this story as a Sunday school student. I don't know about you, but I thought, all right, I'll just do what God tells me for six days. And on the seventh day, everything will be great. I'll get the city, the walls will collapse and they'll be all. And by no means, there's people in this building, including myself, that have seen the victories of God in our own life. They're still happening today. But there's also times, and maybe you right now, where you feel like you're on that sixth day. You feel like you're walking around the city of Jericho and the walls aren't tumbling down. They're staying up. And it, it can get hard. But as uh, Eugene Peterson says, um, our call as a Christian faith is a long obedience in the same direction, Right? And I love that long obedience, which can be daunting if you look at the time that it's going to take you. But what you need to remember is that the obedience is long. It doesn't require to be perfect. It doesn't require to be faultless or the best obedience it is, but it's just a continued obedience. But if that's not encouraging for you today and you still think, I'm struggling to keep on going, I suggest maybe it's time to stop walking and just sit. Watchman Nee, a Christian leader in the Chinese church in the early 20th century, wrote a book that was called Sit, Walk, Stand. And he says that the Christian faith, we have to walk in the spirit, walk in obedience, but it has to start with sitting. The quote here is that the Christian experience does not begin with walking, but sitting. Every time we reverse that order, the result is disastrous. The Lord Jesus has done everything for us, and our need is to first rest confidently in Him. He is seated upon the throne, so we are carried there through His strength. You see, we walk in faith, we walk in obedience because of what Christ has done for us. Watchman Nee takes this idea from Ephesians 2 4 to 6, where Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That heavenly place which Jesus sits is on the right-hand side of the Father God. And Paul writes that we are taken there. Through God's mercy, Jesus has done the work for us. So first, when we become Christians, when we're struggling with our battle, we don't need to work harder. We don't need to strive more for greatness. But we need to remember to sit in what God has already done for us. And that position is not just any position, but at the right-hand side of the Father. So I want to encourage you today, if you are here and you're finding the walk hard, if you find an obedience too difficult to grasp by yourself, I want to remind you that we can rest in what Jesus has already done for us. We can stop the walk. We can sit 
in God's presence at the right-hand side of the Father. And as Mother Teresa says, God has called us not to be successful, but to be faithful. We don't have to win these battles by ourselves, by pushing everything that we have until we run dry, but we can sit in the presence of what God has already done for us. And when we remain faithful, he will take care of the rest. That brings me to my second point as well, is that we don't walk by ourselves. God is the God with his feet on the ground. Another thing that I was never taught in Sunday schools is that the idea that not every text in the Old Testament is unique to the Christian or Judaism faith. Some of you may not be aware, I'm sure many are though, but there's plenty of ancient texts, whether being other religions or even mythological uh, texts, that uh, have comparisons to stories that are in the Bible. And that can come as a sort of a struggle for some of how can it be this way. Um, Look, I can't really explain that myself sometimes. But there is one story that relates to Joshua's conquest of Jericho. And that is the legend of Karet. Karet, Karet, I can't really, Karet. K-E-R-E-T, if anyone wants to look up themselves. Or the Karet epic, right? And this was a story that was discovered in Syria in um, 1930s. Um, a story that was written on clay tablets, and it tells the story of a king called Karet. And he took over a city just like Joshua did. And just like Joshua, he was instructed by his God to take over the city. And just like Joshua again, it was done over seven days. Karet was going to take over Udom, directed by the God El. He was instructed not to go in the city, but to stay outside for six days, And on the seventh day, they will make a loud cry. And the walls won't come tumbling down in this city. But the mythological tale says that the animals inside the city will grow wild. And actually, kids, cover your ears. They'll kill or murder everyone inside of the city. And then Correct can go in. He'll take his damsel in distress as his wife, the king of Udom's daughter. And live happily ever after or whatever happens in his next tale. So I'm sure you can pick up the similarities between those two stories. If you read the whole thing, it's not a carbon copy. There are differences. But one difference that I want to point out is that Coret was directed by his god El to go to this battle. And direction was all that he had. Whereas when Joshua was told to walk around the city of Jericho... In Joshua 6, 4, 7, God says to Joshua, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. The ark of the covenant was told to be taken to this battle. The ark of the covenant, which was this ark that the Israelites stored, uh, the Ten Commandments, the pillars of the Ten Commandments was inside of that, which was the visible sign that the invisible God was dwelling in Israel's midst. You see, it was important to God that the Israelites knew that they did, they weren't just being told to go and do something while he stood off to the side, but they, but Joshua was to take God with them throughout the battle. 
Dr. Michael Heiser has this to say about the comparison of the two texts. In both cases, we have instructions for actions against the city given by the deity. Joshua's instruction by Yahweh, God, at the first through the captains of the Lord's hosts. Coret is given similar instructions by El. What's the big difference? Those are similarities, but what's the big difference? Well, on the biblical side, the divine warrior imagery gives the reader the distinct impression that Yahweh himself fights for Israel. In other words, Yahweh takes a personal interest in his people. El didn't fight for Coret. El just gives instructions, but he didn't show up as a man of war like the captains of the Lord's hosts. He's not boots on the ground, whereas Yahweh is. Is El weaker? Is he afraid? Is he less interested? I want to remind you today that through whatever battles that we walk through, when we're walking in faith, that we're not doing it alone, but God is with us always. It's easy sometimes when you look at the New Testament to think Jesus comes, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, which means God has entered a journey with uh, believers, but God has always been with his people and he never expects us to do anything alone. Now, we may not see other gods like El worshipped in our world right now, but we see plenty of idols or gods, whether that be people reaching for fame or money or success. That's what they worship, but those gods don't stand a chance when you have battles. Those gods flee and make you fight on your own, but our God fights each and every battle with us, and he's always victorious. And that's the third point I have today, is that God has already handed us the victory. Joshua 6 starts with the Israelites standing outside the walls of Jericho. A large city with walls that need to be conquered. And the story tells us that everything has been locked up of fear of the Israelites. No one can enter in and no one could enter out. Somewhat of a hopeless situation for a group of people that have been walking through the desert for 40 years. But at the start of Joshua 6, in verse 2, God says, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. From the outside, from a position that looked weak, from a position where no victory could be seen, God has claimed the victory over Jericho. Now, it could have been easier to say, Joshua, where, where's this victory? We're on the outside. We don't have victory yet. Victory may come, but it's not yet. And I know that we may feel the same today. But what we can learn from this story here is that even before the battle fought, is fought, God has the victory. He had it back then in the Old Testament. He claimed victory over death when Jesus came down and died on the cross for us. And for any battle that we have in front of us right now, God already has that victory. He's handed it to us. He handed the city of Jericho into Joshua's hands before the battle was even fought, and he's handed victory in our hands before we even start walking in faith. So whether you're on day one of this journey, walking in obedience, three, four, five, or six, 
I want to remind you that God is victorious. And Jesus came and he died and he rose again, which means that God is victorious over death, even death, which means that anything that we face, he has already conquered. Now, I just want to finish off today just by reflecting on that victory that God had through communion. Communion being the sacrament of focusing on the body of Christ that was laid out before us and the blood that was shed so that we may be white as snow. So as we come forward and receive um, the symbol of the blood and the symbol of the cracker, which is bread, which is the body, um, I want us to reflect on three things. First, if you all find yourself tired from walking, from doing things in your own strength, sit in front of the body of Christ through these symbols and hand it over to him and come to the place of rest in the position that was granted to you through mercy, which is the right-hand side of God himself. Or we can reflect on that Jesus walks with us. Through this symbol of body and blood, we remember that Jesus put on flesh and bones, left his place in heaven to come down and walk with us as humans. And he walks with us today through the Holy Spirit as well. And finally, maybe you just need to be reminded that we have the victory. It may not feel like it, but Jesus has conquered death. While we're standing outside the battlefield before it's even begun, Jericho has handed victory. Oh, sorry, Jericho wasn't handed victory. Joshua was handed victory over Jericho. But yeah, we can remember that the victory is ours. So, Matthew, you don't mind serving. We'll play some music. And yeah, please come forward. Uh, Nathan will hand you the cracker and the wine, which represents the body of Jesus and the blood shed for us. Thanks, mate.